Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to All Music Radio Podcasting. Your host, Mike Fortune, coming to you live from the nation's capital. Hey, we're going to talk about... Where the church choir's gone? Well, we're going to talk about the future of choir singing and COVID-19. What impact has it had in terms of what we do and how we do it now on All Music Radio Podcasting. Your host, Mike Forte, Fortune, brought to you by... The station for the lost but loved. For the free and forgiven. Playing music that encourages you to live by faith and not by fear. All Music Radio. And guess what, baby? We're more than just music, okay? All right, we're going to bring in information now regarding the future of choirs. Here we go. Okay, good evening, everyone. I'm Bernie Hearn. I'm the Executive Director at Gondwana Choirs, and it's my great pleasure to welcome you to our webinar tonight. We have nearly 1,800 participants registered, and we warmly welcome you all from the choral community across Australia and from 27 different countries internationally. We have choral conductors, teachers, choral singers of all ages, people from youth choirs, church choirs, educational institutions, primary, secondary and tertiary, as well as our colleagues in professional and community arts organisations. We also welcome the Federal Minister for Education, Dan Tian, who I believe is tuned in tonight, welcome Minister, and hope that others also in a position to support the future of choral singing in Australia will be interested in the discussion that we have tonight. Sincere thanks to our partners at the University of New South Wales, most especially our esteemed panel members tonight, to Vice-Chancellor Professor Ian Jacobs and to Sonia Maddock, the Head of Culture, Cultural Networks and Communities, who has enthusiastically shared our vision for why this event is important. Thank you. The session will be recorded and we intend to post the video by the end of this week on the Gondwana Choir's YouTube channel and Gondwana Choir's website, which is gondwana.org.au. If you wish to post a question at any time during the session, you may do so using the Q&A button, or you may also vote for questions you would particularly like to hear by clicking the thumbs up button. My colleagues will be monitoring the questions online and feeding those through to be asked if we have time. Thank you to the many, many people who sent through questions. I can assure you that we have read them all and constructed a, a framework around our discussion tonight, which tries to cover the areas most pressing to the choral community. Due to time constraints and wanting to remain focused on the topics at hand, there are a number of important issues which we will not be able to cover in the discussion tonight. In particular, questions regarding instrumental teachers and ensembles. There's some good work happening in the youth orchestra network and the professional orchestras. For an example, there are some studies in Berlin and Vienna um, orchestras recently and several conservatoriums and music schools are now also creating their own guidelines for individual lessons. We expect that many of the principles discussed this evening will be relevant to other areas of music, not just choirs. Other questions received have been asking for advice on teaching online and adapting rehearsals and performances to various platforms. 
There are some great programs online and resources, forums, webinars by industry groups to help with this. Here in Australia, we especially recommend the Australian Society of Music Education, ASME, the Australian Music Examinations Board, the AMEB, the Australian National Choral Association, ANCA, and ABODA, the Australian Band and Orchestra Directors Association. We also recognise the positive impact on choral singing for mental health, and we've received many questions about this. We agree that there should be a separate discussion about supporting the mental health of your choristers, which we are happy to look towards next. Our goal tonight is to examine how we might safely move back into choral singing in Australia, and we will focus our questions on this discussion by examining three areas. Firstly, the current situation regarding COVID-19 in Australia. Secondly, is singing dangerous? And thirdly, mitigating the risk in the choral context. There are many variables which are important to consider when deciding when and how your choir can rehearse. This webinar is an important part of that conversation. It's not our aim to provide definitive guidelines from this one session. Our goal is to facilitate discussion, explain the science behind some of the situations we've heard about recently and provide expert advice in order for you to examine the risks and make decisions based on your own context and what applies to you. We've all come to realise this is a constantly changing situation. So much has changed, even since we confirmed the event late last week, and we would hope to reconvene again to continue the discussion. I'm also pleased to share that the Executive Director of Create New South Wales, Chris Keeley, stated today that he will work with us and the choral sector to create a framework which will provide guidelines for a safe return to rehearsals and performances in line with New South Wales Health. They will also then work with other states to share this information and to support the sector more broadly. So it's now my great pleasure to introduce the panel. From the University of New South Wales, Professor Raina McIntyre is a Principal Research Fellow and Professor of Global Biosecurity. She heads the Biosecurity Program at the Kirby Institute. Welcome, Raina. Also from the University of New South Wales, Professor Con Doolan, the Professor and Flow Noise Group Leader at UNSW. Con holds an honours degree in mechanical engineering and a PhD in aerospace engineering, and I know you are all keen to hear how his expertise can support this discussion. Welcome, Con. Thank you. Carl Crossan is a well-known and respected uh, conductor throughout Australia and also an educator, composer and clinician. Carl is artistic director and conductor of the Adelaide Chamber Singers and head of vocal, choral and conducting studies at the Elder Conservatorium of Music, University of Adelaide. Carl is a regular guest of our very own Gondwana Chorale. Welcome, Carl. Elizabeth Scott is the musical director of Vox, Sydney Philharmonia's youth choir. Elizabeth works regularly as a chorus master for the Sydney Symphony Orchestra, conducts the Sydney Conservatorium of Music Choir, where she is also currently completing a doctorate of musical arts. Welcome, Liz. And finally, Gondwana's artistic director, Lynn Williams. Since establishing the City Children's Choir in 1989, Lynn has been very busy. She has worked tirelessly and with great passion to develop our work to a national program, which now includes over 1,000 young people each year in the Sydney Children's Choir, the Gondwana National Choirs and the Gondwana Indigenous Choir. Welcome, Lynn, and let me hand over to you. Thank you very much, Bernie. And I'd like to add my welcome to everybody. I think by the number of registrations that we have here tonight, we certainly have a very passionate uh, choral community and I think a very caring choral community, which is why we're, we're all here tonight. Um, we've 
all got tremendous hope that very soon we'll be able to go back into our rehearsal rooms and do what we love doing most, which is to hear and experience people singing together all in the same room, much as our Zoom experiences has been fabulous. Um, it seems we've been on a great roller coaster recently. I don't know if you've been experiencing the same thing, but we've been reading all these articles and seeing webinars coming out of America, coming out of Europe. And one moment, it's all doom and gloom. We have this great enemy of these apparent aerosols, which are a great threat to us all. And the next day, it'll be that actually the, the choirs have been impacted, have maybe not been doing adequate social distancing. And so we're all, you know, going in the other direction and have this great hope again. And, and it'd be great for us to be able to get the, the science around that to give us a little bit more knowledge. Um, with a view to moving into choral singing again as soon as it seems reasonable to do so, we'd like to gain the scientific insight around when and how this might be able to safely happen. I'd like to begin by setting the scene. And, Rainer, if I could begin with you, please, and ask you about, what you know, just basically to give us what is the current situation with the coronavirus here in Australia? And does it seem possible that, you know, it'll disappear to nothing before the, vac the vaccine comes? Or just tell us about where we sit right now in Australia. So we're, we've done very well in Australia. You know, the government's done a fantastic job uh, with very strong border control initially and then um, extensive testing to identify all possible cases. And, um, you know, we have very low numbers of cases, new cases each day, so it's looking pretty hopeful. Um, it depends to some extent on what happens from here on. So uh, with the resumption of... Um, social activity and um, people going back to work, whether that will um, result in any sustained outbreaks is the question. We, of course, there will be outbreaks. Um, that's, that's to be expected until we have a vaccine, but um, we don't want sustained outbreaks, outbreaks that keep propagating through the community. We want to be able to identify them quickly and stop them. And I think we can do that. We've got the infrastructure to do that. Um, it depends to some extent on what happens with the international borders uh, because the, when you look at the WHO situation report and what's happening globally, it's actually starting to rise again, the number of cases, and we're seeing a surge in um, the Russian Federation, in um, India and um, in a lot of low-income countries. We don't actually know how much disease there is because testing it depends on how much testing you've got and your capacity to test. And um, so there could be a lot of silent transmission in some of those countries that we're not aware of. Uh, so if their borders stay closed, I think the prospect is very good. Um, I'm actually quite hopeful that we'll have a vaccine um, at least next year, if not sooner. I, I think in, to be realistic, it will be next year. The likely scenario is that We'll have a first vaccine candidate and then better and better vaccines after that, which is what generally happens with new vaccines. Um, but one thing to say is that the kind of effort that's going on globally to develop a vaccine is unprecedented, absolutely unprecedented. There's never, ever in history been such a massive consolidated effort. We've seen um, things like 
pharmaceutical companies joining forces. So we've got Sanofi and GSK working together to develop a vaccine. That's never happened in my lifetime of working in vaccines for over 20 years. So I think um, there is a lot of hope um, simply because of the scale of the effort to find a vaccine. That's that's tremendous to hear. Um, just leaving singing aside just for a little longer moment, what are the conditions which would minimise risk when bringing groups of 20 to 100 people together as the government-mandated loosening of the restrictions is rolled out? So the physical distancing does work. Um, the further you are away, the less the risk. And... Um, you know, the 1.5 metres is a very good indicator of the um, um, the level you have to maintain that separation uh, to reduce the risk, um, but it will be reduced even more with further distancing. Um, the, the, but those rules apply to normal social interactions, which are like speaking and, um, you know, occasionally maybe coughing or sneezing, and Con can speak to you a bit more about that. Um, but uh, with singing, it's clear that um, the amount of aerosols generated is much higher and for a more sustained period than from normal talking. Um, we know from research that's been done on seasonal coronaviruses that um, they can be emitted just from normal breathing. You don't even have to cough and you can find it in the aerosols. So I think the evidence is accumulating, particularly for COVID-19, that the virus does have a propensity to be airborne. Um, there was a good study that came out of the US that um, showed that it compared SARS-CoV-2 with um, SARS-1 and MERS coronavirus, and the propensity to be airborne seemed to be a bit higher for COVID-19. So it's a sort of an unfortunate combination of features, that propensity for aerosolization, um, the fact that it can be spread without any symptoms. That's the most tricky part of all because, um, uh, you know, up to 20% of people, maybe 50%, depending on the circumstances, could be spreading the infection without any symptoms at all, without realising they're infected. And that's why the social dis- the spatial distancing is important and wearing face masks in uh, some countries has been recommended for the same reason. So that's pretty much all we have at this stage is the spatial distancing and the face masks, um, hand hygiene, um, personal hygiene. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. I note that in the 
report that came out in um, Morbidity and Mortality Weekly Review on the US outbreak um, that they speculate at the end that, well, everyone sat together and shared utensils and ate together, etc. Maybe that was, maybe it was through contact. Well, I don't think so because um, we've seen a cup, two, two types of outbreaks that have really stood out and one is the choirs and the other is um, the meat plants, meat pl- packing plants. And when I looked into that, there's a high degree of aerosolization that goes on in those plants from the processes. Um, so I think, um, you know, the um, we don't know, you know, how, how they acquired it, whether it was airborne or contact, but there's been plenty of other gatherings of people that haven't resulted in as high an attack rate. I mean, the attack rates we're talking about, which is a percentage of people that got sick from the total number who were there, are incredibly high. The outbreak in the US, um, in the Netherlands, and also in um, in Germany, uh, you know, uh, I think about 70, 70% plus people got infected, and that's much higher than you would expect. Even in a family, you would only expect 25% to get infected. So that suggests to me indirectly that it, it's aerosol spread. Thank you. So it appears that we, we've sort of attacked the, the elephant in the room is does singing actually increase the risk of uh, spreading the virus? And I might pass over to you, Con, if you could explain a little bit the mechanics behind that and then Carl will uh, delve deeper into, you know, what we can do in rehearsals to mitigate those problems. Sure, sure. So, um, so when you sing or cough or sneeze, you're, um, there's a combination of the breath uh, with the um, saliva or, or fluids in your um, in your mouth and in the in the lungs, and that gets projected out obviously out of your um, out of your mouth, and it forms like a cloud, like its own weather system. So the big drops start falling out of that cloud, and the cloud moves over, moves away from you, and eventually those drops fall away, and then you're left with an aerosol. So they're small particles. Um, maybe tiny bits of virus inside uh, small droplets or just bits of, the, of solid material. And then they can uh, stay airborne because they're so light. Uh, they can stay airborne and travel uh, uh, long distances. So um, if that interacts with, say, an air conditioning system or even a, a, an audience, say, they're all hot people <laughs> and they are... Um, they're sending up plumes of of warm air, and and that can mix the aerosol around, and um, and spread it to to everybody. Um, so that's in a nutshell. It sort of forms a weather system, uh, and then uh, it forms a cloud that sort of just floats around everywhere and mixes into a room. Okay. Um, thank you, Connor. I wonder um, if you could perhaps just explore um, whether the situation. Uh, um, for choirs might be um, any different or how different to regular social distancing guidelines. Um, For example, the distance between choristers um, is 1.5 metres enough? Uh, Does the number of choristers per square metre matter? Does the setup of the seats matter, for example? Um, I remember... Um, Alan Joyce talking this morning um, when justifying Qantas's decision that uh, things would be safer because everybody was facing forward. Mm -hmm. 
and, and inquires, of course, people tend not to do that. We tend to be in a some, some, um, some sort of semicircle. So in what ways might things be different? Well, um, I guess with a choir, um, the, you're singing and singing quite loudly. So you'd be projecting that your breath and that, that cloud of, of droplets and aerosols are uh, a long, a long further away from you than, um, say, somebody speaking or, or even sneezing. Um, so there's that difference. Um, so if you're concerned about the people in the choir, um, well, if you people in front of other people uh, singing, well, they would be definitely in the firing line for droplets, which would, I would imagine, uh, be more uh, contagious than um, smaller pieces of, of aerosol. Um, so one one suggestion would be to have everybody in a single line, so that uh, those droplets didn't um, fall on them. But th- I guess the real problem is that aeros- the aerosol sorry the aerosol uh, gets mixed up in the air, um, and if it's inside, well, that can fill the whole volume, um, and it may may not matter where you are in the room if you fill the fill the volume with aerosol. Okay, um, you've partly answered my next question, actually, which was going to be really about um, the distance that an aerosol can mm-hmm. um, can actually travel. But um, I think what you're saying is that once it's in the room, it mixes, it's in the atmosphere. If it's a small enough droplet uh, to be suspended permanently, like an aerosol, yes, it would, it would um, you know, it would have a long time in the air. It's not to say it wouldn't settle out eventually but it can be easily mixed by small air currents. Okay. Is the presence of air conditioning um, in the room a large factor or is it comparatively um, small? I would would think it's quite large because it's blowing air in and mixing uh, the aerosol, uh, you know, all the time. So I would imagine that. um, But even, even without the air conditioning you you would have you've got a lot of people in a room and they they're warm and they would create a plume of warm uh, gas off them so that would create mixing in the room as well maybe not as vigorous as, as air conditioning but um, that, that would also cause the aerosol mixing okay um, you've talked about the volume to an extent is the age and the size of a singer um, a factor. Uh, is there a difference um, in what you're saying between um, children's choirs and adult choirs, for example? Let alone the conductor in the room. <laughs> yeah. um, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. I could only talk about, um, you know, mechanical mm. <laughs> things. I, I, I would imagine child would produce less. Maybe not. I, I, I don't know. Uh, I, on the safety side, I'd say there'd be no difference. Okay. All right. Um, some people have asked the question, uh, does it make any difference to actually be rehearsing outside? Now, I'm not too sure how keen people would be to rehearse outside during the coming winter, but it, um, does that actually make a difference? Uh, I, without doing tests, uh, mm-hmm. I would imagine it would okay. because if there was a breeze, it would just take... Uh, a lot of that um, aerosol away uh, mm. and droplets away, I would imagine it would, would help quite a bit. Okay. 
Thank you. You have to be very careful, of course. Um, yes, yeah, okay. Sort of blowing back on you or blowing on other people. Thanks. Um, I'd like to pass you over to Liz Scott, who's got some um, some questions for you. Thanks, Carl. Um, I would like to move the conversation to look specifically at schools and school-aged children. The official medical advice from National Cabinet in regard to schools and school-aged students is that they are considered to be in a low-risk category. In fact, in New South Wales from Monday, schools are returning to full-time on-campus learning, a sudden leap from the current recommended one day per week. Raina, if I could uh, direct this question to you. If school-aged students are indeed in a different medical category, then what advice would you give regarding the risks of choral singing in a school? So I think um, the school-aged children range from sort of four years to 18 years of age, and I think there is a difference in the age groups um, based on a study that was done in Iceland where they tested kids of all ages. Um, Clearly, the kids under 10 um, are lower risk than the kids over 10. But over the age of 10, there was... um, So they tested for antibodies, right, which is evidence of um, past infection. And in a a sort of population representative sample, they didn't find any infection in children under 10 or any seropositivity, um, but they did find um, quite a bit in the kids over 10. Um, However, that doesn't necessarily mean the kids under 10 aren't getting infected. It could be that because they, there's other studies that show that people who, um, that you kind of need a rip-roaring infection to be able to mount an antibody response and develop antibodies. And if you have a very mild infection or asymptomatic infection, it's possible that some people don't um, mount an antibody response. So it it doesn't necessarily mean they don't get infected at all. And um I think, as Con said, the lung size of small children is much is less, so the ability to generate aerosols would be less just based on the lung volume. But then again, children, um, particularly the younger ones, are harder to um, enforce things like spatial distancing with. Um, so I... I think, you know, my view is that if if, we're, if the kids are going back to school, risks should be minimised um, because it's not, you know, although there hasn't been a lot of evidence of um, teachers getting infected from children, there have been reports of teachers getting infected. We don't know where they got infected, but um, there have been quite a lot of reports of teachers getting infected. So I think, you know... It's sensible to mitigate the risk by avoiding crowding the kids together, whatever they're doing, whether it's, um, you know, some other activity or singing. And I I do think there's merit in looking at the outdoor singing option, you know. Um, Yes, it may be possible in in school situations. Singing happens so much in classrooms um, as well as choir as an, you know, an actual um, subject or an event that a rehearsal that might happen. There's often singing, you know, in classrooms, there's class music lessons and, of course, individual singing lessons and instrumental lessons. Um, So I guess, you know, if people are trying to just be as careful as possible, then that could still proceed. I... I think so. I mean, the other thing is that in Australia we've got a very low incidence of infection, so it's different from the US when there was a lot, you know, in Washington State it was 
one of the hotspots for infection. So there was a lot of transmission going on in the community. So the probability of someone coming into a choir with infection was much higher, right? Whereas in Australia, that probability is lower because we've got a lot less infection. Um, so that's another factor to consider. What about um, youth community or combined schools choirs um, when young people are gathering together from many different schools? Many of these students travel to these rehearsals by public transport. Does this actually place them, you know, using crowded public transport, does this place them at more risk than potentially the rehearsal itself? I think anything, you know, with these kind of infections and COVID-19 particularly, the more movement and mixing there is of people and in more crowded places, the greater the risk of transmission. And crowded public spaces like public transport would be a greater risk than um, open spaces or, you know, travelling just in your car. Just because there's a higher probability that someone infected has passed through there and so, so therefore there may be um, infectious aerosols or infection on surfaces like the railings and seats and so on that you touch and then you could contaminate yourself. Yeah. Many of our activities combine singing also with residential camps, sometimes involving people from the same region, others bringing people together from across Australia. Obviously, at the moment, with the borders closed, these activities are, are not possible. We're wondering when these activities might be considered safe and what will be the factors determining whether such activities can proceed. So I think, I think you have to go with your, um, your government um, advice on that. Um, in general, though, as we all know, that school camps and camps in general uh, do have an associated risk of outbreaks. Um, often it's foodborne outbreaks and gastro-type outbreaks, but occasionally it's outbreaks of respiratory disease as well. Um, so, again, um, bringing lots of people together from different places, congregating um, in a camp particularly. So maybe, you know, camps in summer would be safer than camps in winter where you could um, have more outdoor activity and less um, enclosed sort of time inside um, small spaces. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, guys. It is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chum. Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Is it um, possible for the for choir directors, you know, organising rehearsals, um, that they use the government guidelines as, you know, 10 people together, 10 people in a room, or is there a particular volume ratio that should be considered more closely for, for choral singing, you know, number of people in a particular size space? I think uh, maybe I'll ask Con to take that, that one. Um, you know, we, we've done a bit of work on the physical distancing side of things and uh, maybe he can comment. All right, could you just repeat that? 
But just wondering if um, the reg the recommendations made by the government for the number of people in a number of people together so at the moment ten people together, um, or whether um, yep. Yeah, a number of people, I suppose, in a particular sized room if they are singing, if the government guidelines are oh. okay or if we should have more space, for example? Well, um, it's hard to say. I mean, probably not. I mean, it, it, I mean, if, if the, we don't really know the, the primary way it's transmitted, but if, if the aerosols are the most important, um, they're going to be mixed up um, and if 10 people are okay... You know, in a normal situation, will 10 people be okay singing, I would imagine, um, because, you know, uh, the, the transmission path would be the same. The same for 10 people as it would be for four? Oh, well, 10, but, people, 10 people obviously would produce more aerosol um, uh, and uh, so presumably the, the people would ingest more aerosol um, from 10 people than, than with four. But if the guidelines say 10, uh, I can't imagine why singing would be any different than just sitting around in a cafe or a, or a school. Mm -hmm. Okay. And what about um, duration of a rehearsal? Typically choir rehearsals are two and a half to three hours. Mm -hmm. For example, um, is the length of the time of exposure a factor that needs to be considered? Yeah, well, I don't know the medical, um, you know, how long... Uh, it takes to be infected. But if, for generating aerosol, obviously, if you're singing for longer, uh, that's going to be producing more um, aerosol. So the concentration of, of aerosol particles uh, in the room will be higher the longer you sing. And, and that, that would depend on another number of factors like um, how quickly it settles out and if there are any um, pathways out of the room, like air conditioning systems sometimes take air from a room or if windows are open. Um, but... In general, if there's if you're singing longer, um, you'd be producing more aerosols. Okay. And final question from me before I hand back to Lynn. Um, Raina, in your opinion, when will it be safe? This is the big question everyone wants to know. When will it be safe to return to uh, any choral activity uh, when that activity can restart? And would you recommend a staged return to full rehearsal, so a smaller number of people first, for example? Well, I think... Um it, if we come to a stage where we've had a period of time with no cases at all, no new cases, then I think you can assume it's reasonably safe. Um, but the likelihood of, of having a sustained period of time with no cases um, and before we have a vaccine is probably low. It's not impossible. We may see that. But, um, uh, yeah, I would go with a sort of... Um, risk-based approach, a probability approach based on the number of cases we're seeing in the community, new cases. And, uh, you know, the incubation period is quite long. It's about two weeks on average. So um, that means you'd want to be seeing at least one month without any new cases before you said it's safe. Thank you. Sorry. Uh I'm sorry, Lynn, can I just throw one more in? I was just muted there for a sec. Just a follow-up question. Um, in, in fact, two brief ones. Um, the effectiveness of testing on choristers, um, is that a pretty good um, indicator of anything um, related here? And 
I've also just forgotten what my second question was, so I'll leave that one there at this stage. Oh, are you asking whether you can do screening of choristers as they come in? Uh, yeah. So I think as time goes on, we'll get better and better rapid screening tests. Um, I heard that Emirates Airlines has, has a test that they're going to test people before they board. Um, I know in the US they're working on a test that combines both the um, detection of viral antigens, the PCR, with the serology. Um, that'll give you an answer in 15 minutes or so. So I think in time we will have those kind of tests and that, that will be a very useful thing um, for a range of different activities. Thank you. Did you have your other question, Carl, or was that...? No, it has gone from my mind. <laughs> yes, I just, thank you. I just wanted to very... Um, if you could tell me whether this briefly summarises, very briefly, uh, our discussion tonight, um, that, well, that Australia has done, done well in um, controlling virus, which is such good news, and we're all absolutely thrilled that that's the case. Um, and we feel in a very good position, um, and that we we have concluded that that singing does indeed emit aerosols, and that the virus is is um, carried by the aerosols. I was actually um, just moving away from our summary for a minute. I I was interested in the the contrasting viral loads between the droplets and the aerosols. Um, do the droplets carry more of the virus than the aerosols? Um, I'll, I'll, I'll have one, a go at that and then I'll ask Con for his view on it. But um, there's been a number of studies that suggest that um, SARS-CoV-2 preferentially infects the lower respiratory tract, so the lung, than the upper respiratory tract, the nose and the throat, and that the viral loads are higher in the lung than they are in the nose and the throat. Generally, we would think that an infection that's spread by large droplets will be one that's more prevalent in the nose and throat and one that's more preferentially spread by aerosols will be more prevalent in the lung. So on that basis, um, probably the aerosols, uh, despite their smaller size, may have may be more infectious, but it's hard to say. There's no actual no good data on that. There are data from um, both experimental and hospital studies that have shown that the virus can be detected in the air um, in one study three hours after aerosolization and another study 16 hours later. So um, that goes back to what Con said earlier, that these aerosol clouds can hover around for a long time. The other thing is the infectious dose. So some viruses you need a, a big dose to get infected and some you need a very small dose. Um, probably just given the way this has uh, spread around the world. Um, the infectious dose is quite small, but we again, there's no good data on that. So I don't think I really answered it, but maybe Con can um, add to that. I know Con mentioned about the size of the droplets being bigger and therefore potentially more. Um, yeah, thanks, Raina. Um, well, the the droplet that you know, there's droplets, larger droplets, and the aerosols. So the larger droplets would contain more virus particles, I'd imagine. Um, but do they cause more infection? Uh, more infectious, just basically on a mechanical on a mechanical level. Um, 
yeah, so but a droplet obviously would uh, cause infection if it got into your mouth or landed on your hand and you wiped your nose or something like that. Great. We missed a little bit of what you said there. It dropped oh, out. No. But I think I think we've got the general idea. Can you just just revise a little bit about the the contrast between the two, perhaps? Oh, yeah. So the droplet, you know, the larger droplets would contain a lot of virus, I would imagine, um, but they're all contained in one one package, so they would fall um, to the ground. Um, the aerosols are dispersed, um, so there would many more particles could enter your lung. Uh, from an aerosol, I would imagine, than a droplet. Thank you. So just returning to our summary, I think uh, we concluded that Australia has currently a low infection rate so that the risk is of carrying out rehearsals is perhaps quite a lot lower than many other countries and that it would seem that if we were able to go for a month without, without new cases, that would actually um, give us quite a lot of confidence of uh, going back into going back into rehearsals, which would be terrific. Um, Bernie, I might hand back to you into if there are further questions from the participants. Sure. Um, thank you to everyone who has uh, sent through questions. We've been busily sorting through those tonight and I hope that people feel that the, those questions have been covered in, in various ways by our panels. Um, the last question that came through was in regards to how, how can we reduce the risk for conductors? They are at the front, they're in the firing line. Are there other practical ways that you would suggest that we could uh, investigate to, to help? protect our conductors? I mean, if the conductor doesn't have to sing, <laughs> they could wear a mask. Mm -hmm. um, I think there is good evidence that a mask uh, can help, particularly if it's got good fit around the face and is, you know, water-resistant material and, you know, good quality product. Um, that is something that could be considered. Terrific. Thank you. Um, there are many questions in regards to specific uh, specific situations, different size spaces, number of people and so on. And I think the more we follow guidelines and really look at what the advice that you've given tonight um, it will help us to draw further conclusions. If um, as, as more information comes to hand, we'll certainly look to share that with the network. So are there any further questions from any of the, the panel members tonight? Um, so, I, I, I would actually like to ask, in, you know, I don't think we've, I feel that people might be feeling that it's, we've been a little bit inconclusive, which of course is the way it, it sort of needs to be, but we're all so much dying to get back, you know, what, what might be a timing, you know, as compared to the, the national guidelines, I think we've covered this to a degree in terms of numbers of people in a room, how do, how is singing how much is it different in terms of following those guidelines? I mean, if, if you were us, you know, it's like sort of saying, if your daughter was in the choir, uh, a children's choir, for instance, when would you feel confident to send your child, for instance, back into a children's choir rehearsal or, you know, uh, or, your, or your mother, perhaps, off to her community choir rehearsal? So, I mean, I think you need to be looking at, again, a risk analysis um, approach which will consider how much disease is there in the community, which will then tell you what's the probability that you'll walk into that rehearsal and get infected. 
Um, if, if there's very little disease and the probability is low, it's not zero, but the probability is low. Um, and then you need to think about personal risk. So if it's if you're somebody who's got chronic diseases, who's on drugs that are suppressing your immune system, who's had treatment for cancer or is having treatment for cancer, or um, if you've got other risk factors, if you're 50 years or over, um, then you should think about it in terms of your personal risk as well. And um, what are the consequences for you? The consequences for you may be different to someone who's 20 years old um, and gets infected. And um, I think uh, everyone will have to make their personal choices as well. But I do, I'm a firm believer that nothing is black and white and you can find workarounds and find um, ways to kind of adapt to the situation. And um, a lot of the things we've discussed uh, do... Um, allow us to find workarounds um, and I think you know we're fortunate that it's not like we're not uh, we haven't got a high incidence like the US or Europe um, so it's not as great a risk here but it's still a risk it's not uh, you know there's, it's not zero risk um, I also want to mention that Con and I have a PhD student who's done a video that looks at the shows you the droplet spread from talking and singing to compare, I don't know if Con's got it and whether I've he got can... it. I've got it here if I can share my screen. With that, you've worked hard for what you have: your money, your assets, your four hundred one k, and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to three million dollars in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss, and if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply. Be okay? That would be great. Absolutely. Okay. So, can you see that? Yes. Yes. Okay, so this is uh, a picture of uh, a person just going through a scale, you know, do, re, mi, uh, et cetera. So it's not um, singing as vigorously as a, as an, a choir singer would. So they're just um, standing in the lab. So what Pratik, our student, has done is he's developed this method of visualising the droplets uh, produced during... Um, uh, speaking, sneezing, coughing, etc. So he's applied it to a person going through a scale. And, and down the bottom left, you can see the notes that he's conveniently put there. And it's using um, this very intense light source that we use in supersonic wind tunnels. And we've purposed it for this um, uh, study. But anyway, I'll play it. So that's dough. You can see the droplets forming. And some notes have produced less. So you can see that those droplets form. Some of the big ones just fall down immediately, but the, the smaller ones just fly around the room. Bar's particularly bad. You can see, so so this method picks up a lot of the droplets, but um, there's still aerosol that gets um, 
uh, produced as well that uh, we can't see. A lot of these droplets are, uh, you know, they're, they're staying suspended like an aerosol would. Going back down the scale. The FARs particularly don't. Okay. Well, uh, and Con, could I ask a question about that? Yes. Because it would seem that the consonant had something to bear there as well. Yes. That the, with far, it's mm. probably more the F than, the, than it is the yes. vowel sound, yes. and the do seemed to have a different pattern depending on where it was. Exactly, yeah. In the range. So there's obviously some other, um, some other factors coming into play here as well. Oh, it's incredibly complicated uh, uh, physics that goes on. It depends how much fluid is in, in your mouth and then the way the air pushes through your mouth and shears the, the, you know, the, the liquid and um, as it comes out, yeah. it produces um, you know, droplets of different sizes. So it really depends on how much air you're pushing out, how quickly and how much fluid you have in your mouth when you do it, the shape of your mouth, where your tongue is. Uh, it's incredibly complicated. But I'm also wondering if potentially, um, and not ideal for choral directors at all, but um, as a start, if choirs started rehearsing using humming rather than singing lots of text and kind of separating, maybe speaking through text and learning their parts humming with closed mouths, whether that would greatly reduce the risk. Well, I, I think that's a great idea. I think that's, um, yeah, that would close off the uh, source of the droplets and aerosol. Yes, and I think that's backed up by what you just showed us too because the ones that started with a with the M, and I think this was also the case with the L from what we, um, from what we saw, there seemed to be less, less actually coming out of the mouth with the M and the L. Yes, yeah, yes, yeah, I think you're right, yeah. Mm. Yeah, and we'll never be able to sing F words starting with F ever again. <laughs> Eliminated from the repertoire. Exactly. Well, I mean, maybe that's a workaround that you choose particular pieces of music that have less of those, um, the, the consonants or the sounds that um, cause a lot of aerosol generation. Mm. That's a, that sounds like a commissioning project to me. <laughs> uh, um, this is interesting too because conductors spend, um, usually spend a lot of time trying to get clearer consonants from their choirs and um, because it makes for better diction. So I think that di obviously diction is off the agenda now. Yes. We've had a lot of uh, requests online for people to know where they can view that video again. Um, with permission, we'd like to include that in the recording of this webinar. All right, all music radio podcast. When they talk about... COVID-19 and the future of choral singing. Well, we're talking about choirs, church choirs, school choirs. It has a number of ramifications just to get you up to date. That uh, that uh, that program was made in May 21st, 2020. I mean, clearly we we got the vaccine uh, in December of uh, 2020. It's just the the real problem was the implementation and distribution. The federal government under the Trump administration 
just left it up to the states. They didn't put no money behind it. And we really didn't get to moving until we got a new president, President Biden, and he really put a lot of emphasis and that's when it started picking up. He gave the states the money that they needed and the resources to get it done. In spite of that, in the United States, we've lost more people to COVID in 2021 than we did in 2020. And for the majority of the year, we didn't have a vaccine. We didn't get a vaccine until about November, the last two months of the year, and really didn't start, um, you know, distributing it until after the election. So we lost a lot of months. We lost a lot of lives just because people wouldn't wear masks. You know, if we had had much stringent distribution of the vaccine, almost 100,000 people could have potentially been saved. We lost more people in 2021 than 1918. In 1918, the only thing they had was masks. What can I say? With the new variants that continue to come out, it still impacts how church operates. As far as singing, a lot of a lot of music programs have been pared down to a small number of people, quote praise team, with few handful of people socially distanced and maybe wearing masks, as well as perhaps even being vaccinated. Uh, churches that have the technology and the know-how have been able to, you know, do separate videotapes of of uh, audio from choir members and have the technology to put it all together. It makes it very seamless, but there are a lot of churches don't even have the technology for the basic praise team because the conditioning of how churches operate. You know, one pastor said that when changes take place in three to five years, it might take 10 to 20 years for the churches to catch up. And when they catch up, they're still behind. So, and I think that's where we're at right now. I know one church in question had seven choirs. And, you know, a boatload of musicians, the pastor fired all the musicians and got rid of all the choirs. And I'm talking about a church with over, you know, some choirs being in existence 30, 40, 50, 60 years. All got wiped out. And I guess COVID was the best excuse that nobody could challenge to some extent. So it's, you know, choirs had problems. Churches had problems before the pandemic. Some of them just got worse with the pandemic. It just caused them to, to look at things a lot differently, you know. So, um, you know, b- basically, um, it's, uh, I think church choirs are dying, dying out, more moving to the band and, quote, the praise team. Because, one, it doesn't take that much to put those number of people together. And, obviously, if you do it from a digital viewpoint, it's less people, so you can get it done a lot quicker. I, from experience, I know one particular church, they send the um, metered audios out, letting people, letting the various parts know when to sing, they put that together, then they have them do the video, then they sync that all up. And normally that takes about, they, they do that a week in advance, just to, just to get that together with just a handful of people. You can imagine if you got 40, 50, 60 people, what, what it would take to do it. Tremendous amount of time, effort, and technical know-how. The musicians may be great, but they don't have the technical know-how when it comes to media. You almost got to hire media experts to really put it together. I mean, some of these people's presentation are just sorry. 
and and boring, and I don't watch. And then there's some that are TV quality that I have no problem watching because it's good quality, good quality music, great quality video and sound. So the church and the church choir has to move more technologically to get it done. It's something we're not used to, but it appears that that's something we're going to have to get used to. Uh, At the rate they're with these anti-maskers and anti-vaxxers, they just allow the virus to duplicate into something much more stronger because they got all these hosts there who don't want to wear masks and don't want to get vaccinated, so they basically easy guinea pigs, and they end up in the hospital. You got more people under the age of 60 in the hospital than you did the first time. There's more people over 60 the first wave last year until they got vaccines and some treatments. And now you got people, you know, under 60 because obviously the distribution and allocation of injections, you know, for the vaccines were given out based on priority. And so I think that that, in fact, created a problem just as well. So now we're out to getting boosters to boost our immunities. And, you know, I feel that it's going to be something where we're going to just have to Take a booster, just like we do a flu shot. That's where I think we're going. I don't think this thing's going to end till 2023. <coughs> Excuse me, maybe early 2024. So it's the demise of the church choir, my friends. That's where I see it. And I stand by it with a musician with 50 years experience in church music. That's where it's going at. Even the quality of the music is so different now. Sometimes you can turn the radio on, you don't know what it is. It's going in a di- direction that it just, I don't know. I, I can't, it's, it's almost hard to imagine. Particularly you go in these churches and they have no hymn books. So if you have no hymn books, you start losing the basic hymns that are generally sung. If they don't sing hymns, you're going to lose them a lot faster from generation to generation to generation. However, I find people who do know them who do introduce them are very effective because the basic hymns are at the heart of the music. It reaches the heart because it's a story that is meaningful. And the music has gotten much tighter, much more uh, cleaner, you know. So that part has gotten better. But the, the, the singing and it has to catch up in the mentality. So that's why I see it on music radio. Podcasting. It's Mike Fortune coming to live from Washington, D.C. You can listen to our radio station at www.allmusicradio.org. Hit the listen button 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, 365 days a year. Now, guess what? It's on demand, so you can pick whatever you want to listen to. You want to listen to jazz? You want to listen to hip-hop? You want to listen to dance music? Whatever you want to listen to, you can choose what you like to listen to. So you have the choice. You can listen to our podcast on all the major platforms. Or go to Michael Fortune Tweaker. Dot com and you have access to over 450 different episodes covering a variety of topics. Tonight's topic is what's happening to the church choir. You know, the future of choral singing with COVID-19. Look, have a great day. Wear your mask. Get the vaccine, baby. Save you and somebody else. Be a hero and not a zero. We sticking by. Love, peace, joy, and happiness from all music radio podcasting. Have a great one.
You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply.